Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, Rayala Shahar, Bat Mariah. If you'd like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I am so happy to have on today's show, Dr. Tamara Perlman. Dr. Perlman is a clinical psychologist who works with women with a history of trauma and couples struggling in their marriages. She lectures extensively on topics of parenting, marriage, and dealing with emotions. She also teaches young brides of different backgrounds, the laws and perspectives of a Jewish marriage. Thank you so, so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Mm, it is such a pleasure to be here. And I think that what I do, I'm very, very much so meets the vision and the, um, and the investment that you make, which is, which is bringing and trying to bring light and healing and understanding and um, comfort to Jewish women around the world. That's beautiful. Um, I remember actually when I was in grad, when I was in college, actually not in grad school yet, one of my great professors, I learned a lot from him. I remember he was making a point about, you know, about the professionalism of a psychologist. He was one of my psychology professors. And, um, and I really learned a lot from him, but he had this distinction where he said, psychology is a skill. Um, if you want to help people become a Revitzen. And I remember at that moment thinking, I want to become a psychologist Revitzen. And I would say this is the first time that I am um, technically referred to as a Revitzen. And something about it tickles me in that, you know, I'm not really a Revitzen. However, I would love to continue to try to be one in the idea of helping women. That's so beautiful. Wow. <laughs> it is really, really beautiful. And I know we're going to help the topic that we're going to talk about today. I know it's going to help many, 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 many people. So today I, I would like to focus on parenting teenagers. Now, this age group can be a really big challenge for many, many parents. I, I personally know many parents who struggle with parenting their teenagers, and I want to help um, this time to make this time easier for both the parents and the teenagers by focusing on how we can ease some of the issues that could cause friction in the family dynamic. The teenage years are a struggle for independence for many kids. They want to find their own identity and they're not little kids anymore who need to be attached to their parents all the time, but they're still not quite ready to go on their own. They're in that kind of in-between stage. Um, they're in the middle ground between little kid and grown up, and that's where the battle occurs. So how can parents encourage their teenager to be more independent as they try to figure out their mission in the world while at the same time encouraging their teen to ask for help in situations they find difficult, whether those situations are emotional or social? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, in, and like in any good question, the, the, the answer is kind of in the nuances of, of what you're asking. You know, as, as you are referencing, like adolescence is a transitional time. And it's a transitional time in more than one way. Um, like you were talking about attached, you know, at attachment and, and, and independence. Yes. So there is always this tension between a parent and a child, um, between attachment and independence. And in fact, this, it starts off our entire relationship with our children, especially as mothers, starts off very much so with the, with the tension of attachment and um, independence, where in our birthing process, where we literally, literally detach, and we 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 detach from the child. The child detaches from us. That's when the child is considered an independent self. 
And that transition is physical at the time. It is mostly extremely physical, right? And, and raw in that physical sense. And it hurts. Detachment hurts, but detachment is a necessary component in any transition uh, and growth to independence. And as children grow, and as the parent-child relationship grows along with it, it becomes this tension between um, attachment and independence becomes less and less physical and more and more emotional, psychological, spiritual. And adolescence is kind of like the pinnacle of the emotional and psychological. It's like the birth psychologically to the adolescent, to the child. And, and I think what's shocking often is, is how it, it hurts. You know, we don't expect labor not to hurt or delivery not to hurt, but um, the, that separation, that link that is being um, challenged hurts during adolescence and, and, and it hurts both the parent and the child. Now, obviously this is a necessary component because um, just like the child needs to exit the mother's womb in order to be a self, the adolescent needs to detach in some way to be a self. Um, and that is part of the process of the adolescent growing up. Um, and of the parent seeing the child as, as more and more separate than them. You know, something fascinating that I learned more recently from Moshe Shapiro on the language of dot, dot, which is a, um, a type of knowing or a type of knowledge or a type of wisdom. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a language that's used actually with, um, when it comes to intimacy, marital intimacy. Um, it is referenced, dot is used in, in, in Genesis and Bereshit, um, as in Adam knew his wife, and the word dot is used as in knowing. So what kind of knowing is this? It's, it's, it, it's always interested me, and I recently got to learn it from Ramosha Shapiro, that dot occurs specifically in adolescence. Oh, interesting. And why is that? What is it about dot that occurs in adolescence? Is that in adolescence... That's when the ability to see extrinsic reality is developed. To see yourself as outside of someone else and to see someone else as separate from you. At first, when children are born, they need the illusion of complete protection and dependence on us. They need it in order to feel safe in the world. Like last night, you know, one of my younger kids was... Um, awakened by, it's the first time he's done that. He said like, oh, I'm scared of monsters. It was very, it was, it was like tender and, and painful and sweet. And, I, you know, you feel so empowered as a parent in that point, because you could protect them from these invisible, <laughs> unreal monsters. And you're like, oh, there are no monsters. And you are sure about that. And you can hold him and he's so safe. And that safety and that attachment he needs that to enter the world and to survive and to be a self I've got you know it's like this feeling of complete dependence on Hashem like he's got my back like I I someone here completely engulfs me in protection but he doesn't know yet but you and I know that there are certain monsters God forbid we we can't protect anyone from but he's too young to know that then it would be too disorienting. He wouldn't be able to survive and live in the world. That he, he knows that too soon. Right. So that attachment is necessary. But then during adolescence, they start to see you as separate from them. And they start to see, oh, you can't fully protect me from it all. Mm 
You can't, you can't, you can't even fully be sure that you're going to be there for me always. I need to figure this out on my own. It's extremely scary. It's extremely disorienting. It's, it's, um, it's, you don't even often have the language as an adolescent that it is so scary, but something is happening and it's uncomfortable, but you are in that developmental stage and something is happening to the parent and the parent is also uncomfortable, but all of this is part of the power and the beauty of the birth to the self and the birth of the adult that this child is about to become. Wow, that, that's all. That's so beautiful and so necessary and so complicated and so emotional all at the same yes. time. Yes, it really is. It is all that. That's kind of parenting. No? <laughs> <laughs> it really, it really is. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, but along those lines of separatism, parents often have like a certain vision for their teen who is now, as we were saying, uh, really striving to be a separate be- being from their parents. But parents really often have a certain vision for, the, for their teen, a specific direction that they want their teen to go to. And however, the teen sometimes has views that are completely, completely different than the parents' views. And I want to see if you could talk to us about how parents can balance their desire for their teen's future with what the teen wants for him or herself. It's also a very good question. So I'd want to make three points on that. One is that when a teen has different views, the parent usually doesn't like that. Yeah. And most of the time, it's because it elicits a lot of guilt and insecurity and confusion and incompetence and a sense of irrelevance in the parent. Like, what have I done till now? Like our entire lives, we've been talking about this and now suddenly they don't care about that. Like, it just makes you feel completely disempowered as a parent. Exactly. (laughs) And it makes you question your own values. Like, does this even matter? And it just makes you feel weak and irrelevant. And the guilt I find with the mothers is one of the biggest pieces because, you know, except you and I, most people aren't perfect, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we know the things we could have done better or the things that we wish we had done better with this child and that child. Exactly. And we see kind of the, the fragmentations of our limitations and some of the struggles our children experience. And those fragmentations hit us in the face like a slap that we didn't expect. And we don't want it. We're like, no, don't make me challenge myself and make me look at myself. You know, when, a, when an infant wakes up in the middle of the night, we're not, we are frustrated, but we're not mad at him for challenging our sleep. We expect that to be the case. But when an adolescent challenges us and not being our vision, it makes us look at ourselves more honestly. And it's uncomfortable. And then sometimes we turn it into blame. Like if you were different than I, that's not the language we use, but only if you did this a little better and did this a little bit more closely to then I I wouldn't have to feel uncomfortable with the way I've parented or the mistakes I know I've made with you. Exactly. So I would say the first piece is to related to our first questions, recognize what is yours and what is theirs. And the more honest you can be with yourself, the more you can shed parts of you that need to be shed, the less, the more you can use your guilt as a means of self-reflection, not as a means of getting stuck and, and blaming the child. 
then the more honest and valuable of a dialogue you can have with your child. So that what I would say is the first piece is if you're not asking yourself questions and really looking internally while your child is an adolescent, you know, it doesn't even matter to me what the content is. If you're not asking the questions, then there's something is not right. If you're not looking internally, that something is not right. I agree. So that's the first piece I would say is to recognize that they're supposed, they're supposed, they're supposed to wake us up at night. They're supposed to make us uncomfortable and question things. And no one parents perfectly. And imperfect parenting is part of their journey too. And the things that the dynamics that occur between us and our children and the limitations between us in, in us and how it limits them is part of their journey too. So if that, that helps me ground, that helps me ground while I try to always work on that self and those limitations, it helps me ground that I've been the parent chosen for them. And I have been the one that's been given the gift and the challenge of parenting them. And they've been given the gift and the challenge of being parented by me. And then that's part of their journey. <laughs> so that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is, you know, you were talking about, you know, if the child is different than you. Um, I would say that a lot of times what this does is it makes us really identify what our real values are and what our real values aren't. It's like, what are the barriers to ourselves and what are, what are the externalities? There's something that teens cannot stand. And it's when the value or the, the, the uh, vision or mission that you communicate isn't about the mission, that it's about something external. That, that they're allergic to that. This is and true. it is hard for them to take that in. Mm. So raising adolescents makes us need to be more authentic and also more clear about what our values are. So if, for instance, um, your value is about the way they present in the world, right? Mm -hmm. that they are um, kind and they are good to others. But at the same time, they see that there is something in you that also is about pleasing others and having others accept you and having others respect you. They will make you challenge and get more to the core value, which is it's about kindness versus it's about it's about pleasing. So they're going to challenge that and they're going to want to not please. And they're going to make you face, is it about pleasing or is it really about the internal, about being kind? So those are the things that occur. And I would say that it is important to hold to have values and hold on to them while at the same time, be in touch with your kid, see where they're at and be curious about how they're different and what they, that means to you. Curiosity is one of my favorite words when it comes to any relationship. Because when you're curious, you're open to knowing something that you don't yet know. Right. And I think that just like if a child comes to you crying that a friend was mean to them when they were five, you know, he took my marker and it was the purple one and I wanted the purple one and he took the red one. And then, you know, you can, you can respond with empathy and that you, they wanna see 
that it matters to you. But if you fall apart and you're not a self and you're just like, I can't believe he did that. And, you know, I'm so upset. I'm going to call the mother. And if you just, I'm not saying that none of these things are ever, you know, the right thing to do. But if your child sees that you're falling apart, that's really disorienting to the child. So I would say the same thing with adolescents. You need to see that the way they're different from you is impacting you. You know, you're looking at them, you're seeing, wait, should I be more flexible in this? Let me be curious about what this means for you. Should I, let me lean in and ask you, what is important to you about this? But at the same time, if their difference is completely rattling you and you're just letting go of all your values and you're kind of joining them, then that's disorienting to them too. So you need to have this tension between holding on to your values, becoming more authentic with them, shedding parts that aren't really your values, and at the same time, being flexible and curious with them. Oh very, my gosh. <laughs> very easy. I'm just, right? Such a balancing act. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's so true. Everything that you said, it's so overwhelming though. I know. I think it takes time. It takes time. I guess that's why 13 is from 13 until 19, because you need all that time to develop those skills to do that. Yes, it does take time. It takes time. And that's actually a gift, no? That adolescence is... It's, I'm saying it's, it's long, but it's also a gift because we get to grow into it. <laughs> it's for sure. Scraping our knees. <laughs> <laughs> it's for sure. And you know what's so interesting, like what you were saying about the, the, the kids trying to look to see what our values are, you know, versus, yes. you know, trying to please others. Um, they really have a knack for doing that. They really do have a knack for doing that. Yes. And, and also I heard, uh, I heard it said that um, kids are a mirror of us. So sometimes when you see your kid behaving a certain way and it really, really irritates you, you have to, as you were saying, you have to look inside yourself because you might have that same characteristic that's playing out in your child. And that might be something that you have to fix in yourself. Right. So that's, that, that was the piece about the guilt and incompetence is, is there each, every kid will in a way be a mirror or of our strengths in some ways and our, and our values and the cohort, the positive cohort that we have and, you know, Robertson Heller always says in her in her lectures that we are everything we have is kind of funneled through our parents. All the gifts are funneled through them. So all the gifts our kids have are funneled through us. Um, but also, like I was saying earlier, like the fragments of our limitations will be seen in different parts of their personality. And that's always very pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, it makes us kind of feel insecure and 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 um, guilty and all that stuff, which yeah. takes away from the energy of parenting them, of being there for them. Right, exactly. It's very, very true. And because we're, we're, we're looking internal and we're thinking and we're feeling, and many of us feel guilty. How many people have that mommy guilt? I mean, I bet so many other people listening. I know so many people I know have that mommy guilt. It's Right. If anyone has the consciousness to listen, they have the consciousness to have the guilt. Yes, exactly. That's right. Exactly. Well put. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it's interesting because teenagers, I think more than any other group of people, they think they have all the answers. They have everything figured out. They don't need to be told anything. And they have everything under control, except that they actually don't. <laughs> and that's the issue. You know, they, they don't have the teens don't have the life experience that they need to always make the best decisions for themselves. But also they're not always willing to listen to their parents and they don't know listen to, to listening to their parents input. So what is some advice that you can give to parents to encourage the teen to at least listen to them for their input before they actually make a decision, especially if it's a really big decision? 
Right. You know, this is also a, you know, I would say like a tiered answer. Like that, the answer to that doesn't start at 13. You know, that I would say is the investment in the relationship and in the safety that the child feels and in the comfort the child feels with the parent. If they, if they feel this parent is interested to know me and, and has my best interest in mind, they will more likely be able to receive from the parents than not. And that's something that's built earlier on. Yeah. So I would say, and, and what would be the most, you know, you know, to the point, to the point of the, the child thinks that they know everything and they don't. So to that point, I want to say two things. There's a great book called Altered Loves. Altered it's by Loves. psychologists. Yeah, it's by a psychologist. Her name is Dr. Terry Aptor. I actually wrote it down before we met this morning. I wanted to look it up. And she actually had, just like most good books, there's usually like one idea that stands out that I learned from, unless it's from Torah, which is more, much more layered than that. But for most good secular books, there's usually one good idea that stays with me. And, and, and a good idea that stayed with me from Terry after is she said, the, what sometimes feels like obnoxiousness and um, a power struggle between us and them is often not a, is often not what the adolescent the, the adolescent isn't struggling to have power over us, but is struggling to have power over themselves. It's for self mastery, not for you mastery. They actually need to now go on their own, and they are and this feeling of they know it all is part of the of the blanket or the cape they use in order to be able to do it. So it has its function too. Okay. Then the second piece I want to say to that is sometimes we think we know it all and we <laughs> also don't. <laughs> That's yeah. part of our illusion and our cape. They're like, yeah, we know it all. So like, you know, to the second question, like when I use the word curiosity, I would keep ourselves curious. Like, do we know it all? Do we have all the answers? Are our answers actually the right ones? Is this actually what's what's happening? The, the third piece that I would say, however, in regard to how is it, you know, to your to your overall question with this third question is um, how to have the type of relationship where they actually hear from you. And I've heard this from Rebbitz and Heller Gottlieb many times that there's many things you could overdo with your children. You could overdo with you know, restriction, you can overdo with freedom, you can overdo with um, allowances, you can overdo with not enoughness, but you cannot overdo with one thing, and that's respect. You cannot under, you cannot underestimate the amount of respect is important when it comes to your children. So anything that happens between you and your child, if it's done with respect, and what does respect mean is, is taking them seriously, really listening, like for real, you know, which means that there's some openness and vulnerability on your part as you're with them, really being present with them, really taking what they're saying to heart and seriously. If you give them respect, they will not have to protect themselves from hearing you because they'll already feel honored in your eyes. Wow. 
that's powerful. Respect is powerful. It really, really is across the board. Yes. Yes, it is. And it kind of connects to the first point of individuation, which is when you respect the other, you see the other as separate from you. Yes. Wow. You know, it's so interesting that that point like really, really resonates. Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking so hard about this because um, I don't know. So usually when people think about respect, they think about, you know, respecting their peers, respecting adults, respecting authority figures. It's not often referred to as people should respect children. And I totally agree with you. Children should should often be respected. It's just I don't feel like it's a common mindset for many people. Yes, I agree. It is kind of like a like a switch. And there's something vulnerable for us in that. Like, where's our power if we're respecting them? But what you want isn't power. What you want is impact. Exactly. Impact. Yes. Yes. And when you lean into respect, you have more impact, even though in the moment it feels less powerful. This is so true. <laughs> very, very true. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so this brings me to, to my last question. Um, teenagers can sometimes be moody and withdrawn. What? Really? <laughs> I know. Surprise, surprise. Is it only teenagers? <laughs> They say teenagers and mothers can can be moody and withdrawn. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Um, so when you ask them a question, you are lucky if you get a one-word answer. How was school today? Fine. Did you like your food? Yes. What do you want to eat? I don't know. You know, teens don't readily eat or easily share information. They just don't. It's hard for parents to know what's really going on with their kids at school or in their social life with their friends. What is the best way? for parents to encourage their teens to communicate with them about what is happening in their lives. You know, some of my clients, like I'm sitting here in my office, like my couch is right across from me, come to mind as you say that, you know, most of the time when I'm working, I, I don't anymore work with young adolescents in my practice. I, I, I work mostly with older adolescents, young women and uncouples. And um, it's just a boundary I had to set just for sake of, um, access and, and, and working with my time limits. But um, I have these like images of the teens sitting in front of me um, and older teens, mostly 16 year olds, 17 year olds. And most of the time when they come in, I, I try to have them have more of their mother than they already do. You know, I recognize that I will never replace the power even to 10% of its capacity of being, of providing what their mother can provide for them. And if I can help them have more of that access to that relationship, that would be of the most powerful ways to use our treatment. So, you know, often they share something with me. And um, like, for instance, this one girl comes to mind, I, as I often do, I change the details, but I keep the lesson and share the lesson with you. You know, she had overcome something, a big challenge. She had gone to a party and at the party, there were challenges that she didn't uh, foresee. And um, and she stood up to almost lean into the challenge. And then she backed up and sat back down. And I remember that moment and I just like was sitting there and I was like celebrating that moment with her. And there's like a part of me that feels this, um, this uh, like a sadness and, um, a little bit maybe even of a guilt of like your mother should be the one doing this with you like i wish your mother got to know this piece and i wish you got to have this with your mom it's almost like i want to suspend myself and pluck her mom into the experience <laughs> for both their sakes 
So it's, it's delicious, but there's something about it that hurts every time. And often I ask, depending on the relationship, could you tell your mom? Mm -hmm. and, and often I get the answer, you kidding me? I won't even get past the point of why I was there to begin with. Right. She'll just start yelling and judging and blaming and I'll be so embarrassed and I'll be so mortified. I won't even get to the part where I sat back down. Right. So I can't express this any more deeply than, I'm, than I feel in that if we want our kids to talk to us, we need to be willing to really listen. And if you're really willing to listen, your child will want to talk to you. They want it. They need you. They do. They need your connection. They need your approval. They need your pride. They need your guidance. Now, for some, you're right. It is much harder to share in general than with others. Some kids have a harder time, some adults, some humans <laughs> have a harder time with sharing emotion and vulnerability. Yeah. And I think that it's important to build on it. So if they give you one word, build on the word. Anything that's done with pressure is resisted with resistance, right? Yes. So I would say the most important part, build yourself as a listener, as a safe listener. And the second piece is build the communication based on the little things that they give you. You know, like work with the little that they give you and then work upon, upon that. And definitely saying things like, you don't tell me anything, just we'll shut them down because they're like, oh, I'm incompetent and I can't even talk to them. <laughs> I'll never please them. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, like let's say every once in a while they give you a word that's a little bit different. So let's say they say a word like, how was your day? And let's say they use the word, I remember this one time with one of my kids, it was mixed up. So that becomes like a catch word, like mixed. What is mixed? like mixed, like with good and with bad, like use their word and then build on it. Um, as opposed to kind of coming at with your questions, you know, like lean into where they're at and see what they give you and then try to build on it. And it's, it's arduous, it's hard. And not all of them are as forthcoming as others. But again, the, that's their journey of how forthcoming they will be. Our journey as mothers is being open and being welcoming. It's, you know, you brought up such a good point for me, like just something that resonated deeply because some, yeah, some kids are, they come home, you know, everything that happens, yes. you know, that for, for everybody else's family, what everybody else had for dinner, what, what, what the teacher said today, you know, where, where somebody else is going to go on their vacation, you know, everything. And then other kids come home, nothing yes. silent as a mouse. And it's very scary that unknown space, like you feel in the dark. And exactly. Yes. And so, yes, so you feel in the dark, but you also wish that this particular child would be as open and effusive and yes. communicative as the yes. other one. And you're like, what's wrong with you or what's wrong with me? Like, why, yes. you know? Yeah. That's back to that guilt place of like, something is wrong. We need to fix it. Yes. Yes. That's like that sense of shame, by the way, is one of the big pieces of what's good to keep away from a relationship. Because a lot of times, a lot of times, things are not wrong. Things are just choppy and things are a journey, but they're not wrong. But when we have, when we have intensity, it just creates a, a lot of like shame, which the teens already have on their own. So it's, it's good to modulate that on our own. Like 
to quiet our own intense responses and to self-soothe <laughs> in, in that space of the unknown and in that space of, of ambiguity and insecurity. You know, it's, and this is, this is the place, like, I, I, I can't not say this part because this is part of, I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday. Um, this is part of every piece of my journey, but especially in parenting that, um, uh, we were just recently choosing together collaboratively high schools for our daughter, which is all of this stuff. Yes. The values and the openness and the, and the, what do you hold on to? What do you let go? And the, uh, trust and the fear and all of that together, big mush. And, um, and I remember sharing with a friend that, like, I remember feeling um, like the details when I was in high school, like details coming together and like leading me on a certain path. And as I look back as an adult, I see these tiny little, you know, like doors that were open that ended up being really big. Like, you know, there was this one elective. I went to um, Hafter High School. Okay. And there was this, which is a co-ed modern Orthodox high school. And there was this one elective that, you know, um, a Jewish uh, class elective that a lot of people avoided because it was very hard. And, you know, people wanted to get um, easy A's in their electives and yes. uh, people avoided it. And, uh, you know, so did I, because, you know, I was doing what everyone else was doing when it came to that. Um, and, um, but I didn't like sign up for any other elective. And the principal, um, Robert Bajnan at the time called me into the office and he said, you know, um, Tammy, I'm going to put you in that elective where there's only four other girls and it's like a long class and it's arduous and it's hard work. And I was already taking AP psych and AP this and AP that. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't have time for this, but I was too embarrassed to tell him. And I was put in with this group that I didn't belong in. Mm. And it ended up being such an, and we learned um, the principles of faith, the 13 principles of faith. And and Perkeavot, the wisdom of our fathers. And it was a beautiful class. And it taught me the depth and the layers of, of what's in our in the wisdom of our sages and of the Torah. And I was amongst this peer group that helped me grow into belonging with them. Wow. And I remember this moment yesterday as we are in this like vulnerable place of choosing a high school. And I was thinking... Hashem really watched that for me. He just opened that door and I didn't even know it. I resisted it. And it ended up being such a meaningful piece. And I'm like, Hashem is right here with my kids in the places where I can't see them. Right. In the places where I don't see their doors and I don't see the dark rooms that they're in, they're not alone. So when we parent, it feels very lonely and it feels really dark sometimes. But we have to remember that they came into the world with partners, with our husband and with the partnership of Hashem, um, you know, like putting a soul into their body. And Hashem is still partners with us in the parenting. And that to me, if I didn't have that, I feel like I'd have nothing. Right. And having that, I feel like I have everything. That's so well said. It makes all the difference in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. It really does.
Yes, and, and sometimes I bring that in my most intimate talks with God. And I'll just come and tell him, like, I don't know what's happening with this child. Like, I'll just talk to him about it. Because he but knows he, exactly what's happening. He knows yes, he's yes. making it happen. <laughs> yes, and, and, and he knows, like, the vision of that and the purpose of that for the future and for where it's coming from the past. And But we don't. We just see the moment and, like, the one-word answer. And we're like, what's going on? <laughs> right. We're so limited. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, wow. It's so true. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Perlman, for taking the time to join us on America's Top Robinsons. We really enjoyed having you here. And I know we all learned so much. I know that I did. May this class be for Rafu Shalema, for Ayala Shahar, Bat Mariah. Thank you. Thank you so much Amen. again. Amen. It's been my pleasure. And thank you so much for the wonderful work that you do. Thank you. And, and for the opportunity, the trust and the opportunity of connecting to more women. And, and more um, ideas and connections in the world. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Amen. Thank you.